We're back. I was just thinking today when John and I a few months ago talked about what we're going to do this quarter. He said, you want to teach Luke? I said, yeah, I want to teach Luke. I've been excited about it ever since. And now we're here. We're doing it. So this is the third Wednesday night that we've been looking at Luke. And uh, I'm really enjoying myself. Hope you are too. Hope we're learning something. Welcome to all of you who are here. Welcome to everybody uh, out there in the internet world, wherever you might be. We got a very nice letter, card from a lady in California. Says she watches us online all the time and appreciates all the lessons, sermons, everything we do. So uh, people are out there and we're in here and the Lord is in his word. So let's take a look at what we've studied so far. Number one on our questions for review Two or four, whom was this gospel originally written? It's there in the first four verses. You remember a name? Theophilus. Theophilus, lover of God, is what the name means. And it's believed that this was actually an individual, but we don't know for sure. But that's who it is addressed to. Luke says he wrote it for, for him. Anybody got anything on that? All right. Second question, how or where does Luke begin the narrative, the, the gospel, when he starts? Where does he start? How does he start? John the Baptist. And how does he start with John the Baptist? His parents come first, Zechariah and what was her name? Elizabeth, yes, Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Good people. The best to hear Luke describe them through the Holy Spirit. And they were given John, who was to do a little preparatory work. What angel spoke with both Zechariah and Mary? Angel Gabriel. I see people going, Gabriel. I see them, the lips moving out there. I'm a lip reader, though, so it's okay. So we know Gabriel. What other angels do we know? We know the angel Michael. Any other angels do we have names for? What's that? That's, you're talking about that country song where they call the wind Mariah, is that? <laughs> that's not a, that's a country western song. More of a cowboy song. You think you know another one? In the Revelation, there is one called Abaddon, but he's not an actual angel. He's, a, he's an angel in the, in the vision that John gets. What's that? Satan, perhaps a fallen angel. It looks like he was of some kind. Uh, and I always like to throw Harold in there. Harold, the angel. We hear about him at Christmas time. Hark, Harold, angel sings. Anyway, I, I wanted to mention <clears throat> Gabriel is one of the two angels that we have names for in the scriptures. The other one is Michael. And Gabriel is the one sent to Zechariah to say, hey, you're going to have a boy. This boy is going to be the one who prepares the way for the Messiah to come. Gabriel comes to Mary says, you're going to have a boy. Your boy is going to be the son of God. So this same angel is sent to give these messages, one to the dad and one to the mom. It's interesting how God works and who he does it through. What happened when Mary visited Elizabeth? Something very interesting. The baby in 
Elizabeth's womb, John, little John, leaped for joy. That's pretty special. And tells us that he's not simply a mass of fetal tissue. He's a person. All right, let's do some reading. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. And notice this first reading is split. It's 57 to 66 in chapter 1 and then going to go to verse 80. As I mentioned last week, we're going to have to skip some parts of the text. Um, But if you have any questions about the parts we skip, we can come back to them. But we're going to have to skip some if we hope to make it all the way through this gospel in the time we have. So who would like to read this first text? Any, uh, Any volunteers to get us going tonight? Oh, there's a hand, William. Uh, chapter 2, 1 through 14. Who wants that one? All right, Charles has got that one. Charles, is, he does reading all the time for Bible talk. And then 2, 41 to 52. Carrie. And then Rich, I'll save you. If we get to the next set of readings, you'll, you'll get the first one in the next set. All right, let's go with chapter 1, 57 to 66, and then verse 80. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. (coughs) Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, uh, yeah, Judea, People were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wonderful, uh, everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, "What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand is with him." Oh, and eighty. And eighty. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now the first 14 verses of chapter 2. Now in those days a decree came out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken by Quirinius while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes, and laid him in a manger, 
because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And so the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army of angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. But supposed him to be in a caravan, and when a day's journey, they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in, his heart, in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and me. All right. Thank you all for reading. Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 57, talking about the birth of John. What was the problem with naming him John? Okay, wasn't his daddy's name, not his grandpa's name, not his great grandpa's name, and that's that's how they did it. They would pick a name that was from the family lineage, which also kind of complicates things when you go back and you're studying the history and you read about three guys that had the same name, but that's just how they did it. So Luke is inspired by the Spirit to write this part down so that the point is made, the boy's going to be called John, and who makes that determination? Who's the one who gives that authority? Zecharias does, and he doesn't do it by speaking. Why doesn't he do it by speaking? He was enabled or disenabled, unenabled. He couldn't talk <laughs> because because he... <laughs> The angel said, all right, you don't believe me when I tell you this? You won't be able to speak until you tell his name. And, and so that, that's what that came from. And he wrote it out, John. And sure enough, he's following through with what he's been told to do. So how much longer will it be until Jesus is born if things come to pass as they normally would? 
Three months, because he is six months older. That, that goes back to chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's when Gabriel came to Mary, said, now you're going to have a son. So this little boy, John, is six months older. And it says, verse 66, all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And then verse 80, which sounds reminiscent of what it says of Jesus as well. The child continued to grow and become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. What's that mean he lived in the deserts? He was separated from folks. He, he wasn't a normal guy. This this is a different young man called for a different work, and he is going to be different. Have you seen the way he is depicted in um, the series The Chosen? Have you seen much of those where he's, what does Peter call him in the series? You see, this is where you have to be careful because there's a lot of stuff in the series. It's, it's not a bad series. But there's stuff in there that's not in the Bible. And if you watch the series without studying closely the word, you'll get the idea that some of these things happen. But he's called Crazy John. Was he crazy? He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was not crazy, but he had a powerful spirit, very forceful spirit. He was a prophet who spoke prophetically. Bob, and then I saw another hand somewhere. Yes. Had a, he was a hairy guy. That's when, when somebody said, well, what that guy look like? Well, he was, he was hairy. Well, that's, that's Elijah. And so here we've got John the Baptist. It's interesting. He comes in the spirit and power of Elijah, but he seems to have some of the same physical characteristics as well. Did I see another hand somewhere? Okay. So, and chapter one is really long. Have you noticed that? 80 verses, if you count the verses, that's, it's about what a, two chapters would be. And we're not even really talking about Jesus yet. When are we going to get to talking about Jesus and his ministry? On down the line a little ways. Luke is doing exactly what he said he was going to do. He's laying everything out in order. And what is in order first is John. Larry? We need another closer to what John, verse 66. 66, where it says, the hand of the Lord was certain. Yeah. I agree. I don't know why that's in there if it doesn't say what's going on. Well, because it, it gives us the idea of what people saw when they looked at John. There's something different about this boy. Uh, and, and you've seen kids like that. They're just, hmm, that, that's a special child right there. It could go both ways. But, but some, some individuals are outstanding because of their demeanor, their behavior, something. There was something special about this boy. And, of course, that spirit and power of Elijah may have been something that was there very early on. But it doesn't say, does it? It, it just... Right. And, of course, the young woman, Elizabeth, yeah, she wasn't young, was she? 
Elizabeth was, she was up there. Uh, she might take issue with me when we get to heaven, and she, I heard what you said about me in class. <laughs> but that's the point. And, and she even made that point herself. Says, look at the way that the Lord has dealt with me to take away my reproach. And her reproach was that all of her life she'd been unable to have children, and now she has it. And that's one of the special things. It's like God always does things differently. He doesn't do what you would expect, ever. So never try to second-guess God. That's, that's such a good lesson for me in life to think, God, why aren't you doing this? How come this turned out that way? I, it should have turned out that way, shouldn't it? And he goes, really, do you think that? What do you think I think? Haven't you read that part about your ways being way below my ways, Marty? Oh, yeah, okay, I remember that now. So he chooses this couple to have John. And Luke is writing about this in great detail. And he's going to talk about the birth of Christ in chapter 2, but, but he's not talking about the ministry of Christ just yet. All right, so let's go to chapter chapter 2. And look at the first verse. In, the, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. You see the detail that Luke adds. Anybody who would have read this when it was new would have said, oh yeah, I remember that. Adults anyway. Because they would have known this is, this is the way it was. Yeah, I remember that guy, Quirinius. And by the way, what happened with Mary and Joseph because of this census? What did they have to do? They had to do some traveling. Where did they travel to? Bethlehem. What other name does Bethlehem go by? City of David. You saw it in the text. No, you didn't? You just knew that. All right, city of David. Pardon me. <laughs> I just assumed you were reading the Bible. But <laughs> no, that's why you know, because you do read the Bible. But city of David, why is Bethlehem called the city of David? You go back to 1 Samuel 16, 1. When God has rejected Saul as being king, he says, I'm going to send you to get the next guy because this is a guy after my own heart. And he sends him to Bethlehem. Actually, he sends him to a Bethlehemite named Jesse and says it's one of his boys. And that's another thing. You remember what happens there? Samuel goes in amongst the boys and uh, Jesse's firstborn comes in, big tall boys. Oh, that's got to be the one right there. And God says, no, that ain't him. And then ruddy little David comes in, the last one. Because yeah, Samuel says, well, I've, I've looked at all your boys and God's rejected them. You got any more? <laughs> and Jesse says, yeah, we got one little pipsqueak. He was, he's out watching the sheep in the field because he's the least of all the boys. That's, that's why he was out there. And he comes in and God says, that's the one. Pour the oil on him. And so that's the city of David is Bethlehem. By the way, what does the city of Beth, what does the name Bethlehem mean? It's not in the text either. House of bread. House of bread. Isn't that a fitting name? So whose fault is it? They're going to Bethlehem? It's a Roman governor's fault. He's the one 
who, who called this census. Caesar Augustus says, we're going to have a census, so everybody's got to return to their hometown. And so that means they go to Bethlehem. Isn't that interesting? Because they didn't live in Bethlehem. And yet, what had the prophet Micah said? You, Bethlehem Ephrathah, smallest among the tribes. Yeah, that's where the Messiah will be born. Mike. Luke is also called, we could have mentioned this last week in the Sarbane, gospel really called the historical gospel mm-hmm. because of all of the things that you're, you're mentioning here about the, the name of the governor and the year and so that uh, those who are reading that, that gospel was uh, uh, also an apologetic gospel because, I mean, he had dates, he had people, he had he, who was the governor over here, who did this and this and that. So, so uh, centuries later, uh, we could go back and situate exactly in history and in context when Jesus uh, you know, appeared and when he was born. You know, but, but it wasn't a fable Right. It wasn't a mystery or anything like that. It, 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 it was a historical thing that we were, or that the gospel was talking about, and especially Luke's gospel was able to establish that better than, uh, say, Mark, for example. Right. Just, a, just a, not a nuance, but a difference, a very yeah. deliberate difference yeah. that the Holy Spirit has written into this gospel. And all the gospels are unique to themselves. Matthew is not like John. Luke is not like Mark. They're not, they have so much of the same information and they're about the same man who is God. The same message, the gospel, and Jesus himself called the message the gospel. But they're very different. And that's why it's good, you know, if you say, well, we've already studied the gospel, let's not study that gospel. No, study that gospel because it's very different than the other one. All right, verse 6 of chapter 2. While they were there, the days were complete for her to give birth. Our first child, Jamie, our beloved first daughter, was a month late. Yeah. That's what Debbie said (laughs) several times. (laughs) And we don't know if that's because the, the doctor's guess was off or what. But I just want to make it the point. They traveled... To Bethlehem, not because they wanted to or they wanted, oh, let's have our little boy born. No. They didn't know that. They had to go to Bethlehem because there was a census or I'm sure they would have still been in their hometown of Nazareth. But here they are and while they're there she gives birth. She could have been late too. She could have been early. Something could have happened on the road or whatever. But no, she has that baby right there where God said he'd be born. And then of course the announcement is made to the shepherds And that's where in the text you will see in verse 11, the shepherds are told, for today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. By the way, what does the word Christ mean? Anointed of God. What's the Greek or the, what's the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word Christ? Messiah. So this would be reading. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Messiah. He's he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one of God. And when it says, 
Some of your translations have army in verse 13. That's what host means, great group, great crowd. So there's a a great, huge crowd of angels who are making this announcement to the shepherds, and they are praising God, and they are saying glory to God in the highest. Now, I want to point out something, a technical thing here, neither here nor there, but just so you know how easily we can be led away from what the scriptures actually say, you see anything about angels singing here? Nothing about angels singing. I'm not trying to be picky. It's just that sometimes we get things in our heads because somebody says something about the Bible that's not really from the Bible, and that's one of those things. Maybe they did sing, but it doesn't say that. When we get to the crucifixion, we'll ask the question, did Jesus stumble with the cross and fall? Because that's another thing that people talk about that's really, well, we'll talk about that then. All right. Making sure I'm not trying to cover stuff I said we would we would pass over. Pass over, ha ha, that's coming too. Down to verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, so boom, zip, zam, zop. We just went 12 years of Jesus' life. Why are there no stories about him growing up? Why are there no cute tales about his interaction with his brothers or tricks that he did? It's, it's, it's not needed. We don't need to know that. But if a man was writing this on his own, unguided by God, what do you think this book would be filled with? There would be all kinds of cute little tales and anecdotes and stories we would be reading probably descriptions of what he'd look like at every age and whether or not he was good at sports or, or could woo the girls, uh, whatever. You, you just don't see any of that. Boom, he's 12. The yes. Hidden books, you know, the uh, and uh, Maccabee and uh, all the, you know, in those books, that's exactly what's in there. Exactly. It's one of the reasons they weren't, those books were not included in the, uh, in the canon because uh, aside from not having a, uh, apostolic authority, um, uh, the stories about Jesus or the descriptions of him were shallow. You know, the, one of them I, I remember reading about was uh, that he and Joseph, just, just to give an example of what mm-hmm. you just said, uh, he and Joseph were working in a, in the shop and a, a board was not fitting, you know, what they needed. And so Jesus miraculously took it and he stretched it out, you know, <laughs> yeah. to make it fit. Well, you know, we, we chuckle at that. And could, could the son of God do that? Well, if he can make bread, and, you know, if he can feed 5,000, he can lengthen a board a couple of feet. But it was those kinds of, you know, shallow type stories uh, that, uh, Discounted them from being added to the, you know, to the scripture. Right. So you, you know, there's lots of that in those uh, in the in the apocrypha. The, the one I remember the most, the best, I guess, was that he was playing with some of his little friends, and they took some clay and made little figures of birds. And Jesus 
made them fly. It's like, that's the stuff. Yeah. You don't see that in the Gospels. Zip, zam, zop, Jesus is 12 years old before you know it. And they're in Jerusalem. And they go there every year. Now, wait a minute. They go there every year, but we haven't heard any stories about the previous years? Didn't he do any neat stuff in the previous years? No, not till he was 12, I guess. At least that's what the Holy Spirit said you're going to write about, Luke. Tell him about that year he was 12 years old. They went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. Such irresponsible parents, right? Why would they be unaware that he stayed behind? Because, and and this is from secular history, there's nothing in the text that tells us either, but I think we can read this into it. Families went together on this trip, and it even says they just assumed that he was among their relatives and acquaintances. This was an entourage that went up every year. And they must have just figured as I would think you naturally would that your boy, 12 years old, was with the rest of the group and then they find out he wasn't. What's that? Home alone, yeah. How did that happen? Well, it makes for a pretty good movie. He was in the temple alone, except he wasn't alone. How, how many days were they missing him? Three days. I don't know how Mary survived it. Can you imagine God gives you his son and you lose him? (laughs) Where'd he go? I don't know. Where'd they find him? In the temple. What'd he say? I can just see Mary coming at him with her finger out. I don't know. Jewish mom, you know. And he says, don't you know? I got to be about my father's business, even at 12 years old. So we're just starting to see some of his, the, the majesty of his commitment to what his father wants him to do. And it says the people were amazed at his understanding. Now, here's another thing. Verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers. And what was he doing? He was listening, and what else was he doing? Asking questions. Have you ever heard or have you ever heard someone say, yeah, Jesus was teaching in the temple when he was 12 years old? This doesn't say he was teaching in the temple. Luke says he was listening. He was asking questions. It does say, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Right. But apparently wasn't a problem. Maybe he was at the at the house of one of those or stayed right there in the temple, I'm sure. They provide for him one way or another. I'd like to know about that too, wouldn't you, Larry? Need a few more verses on this boy. No, we don't. No, we don't. When they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? I can imagine her exasperation. Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And that's when he says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know? Didn't you know? It's as if he is telling them, you should have known. This was where I would be and this is what I would be doing. But it says in verse 50, they didn't understand the statement which he had made to them. But then it says in verse 51, he went down with them 
and came to Nazareth. And what did he do when he went to Nazareth? He continued to be in subjection. The Holy Spirit says, Luke, write it down. The one who spoke the universe into existence was in subjection to his mother and his father. So when God gives you children, don't you draw back in hesitating to train them to be in subjection to you. Don't you let them rebel. Don't you let them talk back and sash you. You take the authority God's given because the the, the creator of heaven and earth was in subjection to his parents. He's setting the example there for us. I believe, and that's why I, I think the Holy Spirit had him write that down. And then it says his mother did what with all those things? What's that mean to say that she treasured these things in her heart? These things meant something to her. She knows who this boy is. She knows how he came to be born. I can't imagine the the thoughts that she must have had, but she treasured those things in her heart. And then it says, like it said of his cousin John, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now that's as far as we've gotten uh, in our reading, but think about that statement. He kept increasing in wisdom, kept increasing in stature, so his mind and his body, but also in his relationships, in favor with God, but also in favor with men. God favors us. And his son lived favorably with people. His relationships with people were good. And this is what the Holy Spirit had Luke write down for us. All right, let's go to chapter 3. Readings continued. I need a reader for the first 20 verses of chapter 3. Who would like to do that? All right, Rich, yeah, you're the one. I didn't, uh, glad you reminded me. And then chapter 3, 21 to 22, and then chapter 4, the first 13 verses. Yeah, the, yeah what, whatever he said. Anybody want to do that one? That's a complicated reading. It's all split up. Who wants to read a complicated reading? I mean, I'll read it. All right, Jamie. Jamie's got that. And then the uh, chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Last one. Anybody for that one? All right, I'll do the last one. Rich. Fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene. In the high priesthood of Annas and Sophias, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, you 
who warned, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruit, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. Now while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to, to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So with many other ex exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him because Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them, to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven, uh, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, and in you I am well pleased. Jamie, I apologize. Our, our time is short. How about if we table that, the rest of that reading until next week? You'll be the first reader next week, I promise. Um, look at the first part of chapter 3. How detailed is Luke being? We're coming back to this. This is how chapter 2 started. The census declared by Caesar Augustus when Quirinius was... In, all these names and these dates and these times... In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of in, somewhere in Texas. There. Yeah. See, all this detail, does he really need to add all that? Well, the Holy Spirit thought so. Put it all in there. But Luke could have said, well, sometime later. But we're back to the, the historic idea. He's putting these things down in detail. And this gives credence to anybody who might have said, no, this, uh, there were, no, this. And by the way, think about what he's saying. If this gospel were written as it seems to have been written in the early 60s, 
How far removed would that be time-wise from the birth of Christ and John? About 60 years. Now, we've got Google today to rely on for things that happened 60 years ago to get information. What did Luke have? One of the things scholars notice in ancient documents is that there's a lot of inaccuracy with this kind of detail trying to be recorded. They don't mean to be inaccurate, but they just get things wrong because that's, that's the way it works. But Luke doesn't get anything wrong. When he goes back to the, to the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, how far back is he going with that? Okay, from the early 60s, that would be about 30 years. And he's still, he's still getting all of this right. All of it is accurate. But he doesn't stop with the political leaders. In verse 2, he says, In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John. Okay, so he's even saying this, this is the guys who were the high priests at the time. All this detail. Now look at the claim in chapter 2. What is it that comes to John, son of Zacharias? The word of God. He doesn't simply say John started preaching. Luke says the word of God came to John. And that's why John started preaching. And then he says, it's because of what God had said through Isaiah 700 years earlier. And that's the quote that we have in chapter 4. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, this is not necessarily what John preached, but, but this is the prophecy about John who is preaching to prepare the way for the Lord. And it says in verse 3, he came into the district all around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, think about this. John, the one prophet God sends to prepare the way for his son, does what? To get people in mind for the Savior's advent, shall we say. And that is a baptism of repentance. You need to make some changes. That's what repenting is all about. Now, obviously, repent of sin. That's, that's a given. But when we read in Acts chapter 2, and Peter is preaching repentance on Pentecost, I, I really... Believe that when he's preaching repentance there, he's talking about repent from your lack of faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Because people, he's, he's just preached to them about Jesus who's been resurrected from the dead. And they're pierced to the heart and they say, men and brethren, what do we do? And he says, repent. Repent of what? Of your of fornication and adultery and lying. and th- Well, yes, of course. But, but I think in context what he's saying is you repent of your lack of faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the whole purpose for these gospels. Is so people can read the account for themselves and see the details that are laid down in this gospel and the power that's laid down in Mark's gospel and the signs that are laid down in John's gospel and see the fulfillment of all the Jewish prophecy and the trappings of Judaism that were the shadows that have been fulfilled in, in the reality in Matthew's gospel. All of this is coming together. And we're not even reading yet about Jesus' ministry. We're just reading about the things that are leading up to Jesus' ministry. This is his cousin, six months older, who is preparing the way. 
So, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. He began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You're here today? (laughs) What does he preach? See, that's American culture, isn't it? I'm not saying it's wrong to, to thank people for being there and to show appreciation for their presence. But John is, he's not doing just exactly that. What John is doing is what needs to be done. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's talking to the guys who on the rest of the pages of the Gospels are the ones who were up in Jesus' face contradicting him. And trying to catch him in error and lying about him. Those are the guys that John is talking to. But what John's really trying to do is is what Micah or Malachi rather had said. If you look at the last prophet uh, in our arrangement of the Old Testament, you'll find Malachi, brief prophetic word, profound. These are the last two verses of that prophet's words. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And he's going to do that so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. That was John's work. Turn the hearts of the fathers to their children Turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. Because if that doesn't happen, the land's going to be cursed. Bobby? Tells you who those are. That's the the, uh, Sadducees and Pharisees that he was calling the brood of vipers that were following him around. He said exactly the same thing in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. But when he saw the many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the baptism... He said to them, brood of vipers, and et cetera, et cetera, why have you come? Right. What are you doing here? <laughs> We're talking about the salvation God's bringing on Israel, and you're the guys pulling Israel down. Shannon? Death, burial, resurrection. Mm-hmm. What did baptism mean here? Because obviously Jesus had not died and buried resurrected yet. Where did, you don't hear about it in the Old Testament. What what brought baptism? All over Jerusalem are these large structures called mikvahs, and they are ceremonial baths. And when you would go to Jerusalem to worship before you went into the temple, you would get in that and you would you would be baptized. You would bathe yourself ceremonially before you you went into worship. Even if you read about the priests, uh, you covered this in Leviticus. The, the priests, before they would put on the ceremonial garments, they would get in the laver and they would be bathed and they would then put those clothes on. This is something Jews were familiar with. So John came using uh, the imagery of baptism that people knew and understood and Jesus is the one who gave it a whole new meaning that it was, it was always intended to have by dying being buried and being resurrected. And that's, that's, it was a perfect setup. Uh, 
When you read Hebrews, the Hebrew writer says of all these things that they were the shadows of the reality. The, the mikvah and the washing that, that John did, this was leading up to the reality of going into the death of Christ. That's what baptism is all about now. And that's how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 6. And it's not, I used to say it was a reenactment, but that's not what Paul says. He says when you're baptized, you're baptized into the death of Christ. And you're baptized into Christ. I don't know how that works, but God does. And that's why he inspired his apostle to say it that way. And I believe that's what happens. Come on in here. How you doing, Judah? What's up, Bertie? <laughs> I think our class is dismissed. <laughs> what? 